Good morning. I am so glad that you're at Central Church today. We are in, we're calling our summer series The Gospel of God. It's really a study of the book of Romans. We've been handing out these, these journals. If you haven't picked one up, there's a couple left. We've given out close to 950 of them. And folks have been reading along and taking notes as we've been working our way through the, through the book of Romans. And we're up to chapters 9, 10, and 11. 9, 10, 11 are kind of like the dog days of summer. You know, if, if you are familiar with that term, it's kind of, they talk about it in baseball t- terms where when the dog days of summer get there, it's hot and, and you just got to push through. The end of the season isn't until the end of September. And so you just got to play hard and push through and get it, get it, get it. That's what, these are, these are kind of the dog days chapters. Chapters one through eight, Paul's talking about uh, uh, salvation. He culminates it in Romans, you know, the end of Romans is we are more than conquerors. Woohoo! Salvation is wonderful. And in the last five chapters, he talks about what it means, how to live into that family of God in which we are part of, what it really means to, to follow after Jesus. But chapters 9, 10, 11, it's Paul's wrestling, Paul's struggling, Paul's uh, grappling with some of, for him, life's deep, deep question. That is, what am I going to do about my people? What am I going to do about the people that I most associate with, the, 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 the Jews, the children of Israel. And this is what he writes. Chapter 9, verse 1. It's on page 40 in your journal. Paul says this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's what he's saying. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Let me stop right there. This is the Apostle Paul that's writing this. This isn't just some fly-by-night Christian. This is the Apostle Paul who's saying, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish. This is the Apostle Paul who just in chapter 8, we just read it in chapter 8, last, the last words of chapter 8 going right into chapter 9. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors of him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor blah, 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 all the rest. He's just talking about how he's being such more than a conqueror. How can you be more than a conqueror? He's more than a conqueror. And then chapter 9, I have great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish. You know what that tells me? That tells me that sometimes you and me, you and me who are followers of Jesus, you and me who've given ourselves to Jesus and and he's living in us and we are more than conquerors and we are on fire for Jesus and all those wonderful things, you and I can still have some great sorrow or unceasing anguish. Just because we're following Jesus, it doesn't make us exempt from going through or having heartbreaking circumstances come into and enter into our life. I wish that weren't the case. I wish I could tell you, you know, you follow Jesus and woo, smooth sailing the rest of the way. Never a problem, never an issue, never see anything terrible in life. That's just not the way it is. This week, my heart was broken. I encountered a, a family and the and a little girl whose parents don't want her. And she's been shuffled around from family member to family member. None of them know Jesus. None of them are Christian. 
and, and it's just a mess. And I saw this precious little girl, and I thought, what is her future? What, what's going to happen with her? It didn't have to be a rocket sign to say, she, you know, she's been shuffled around from here to there. She, she, her, her parents don't want her. People don't want her. What's going to happen to this precious, precious little girl? You who have been involved in the uh, uh, social work world, you see that, Child Protective Services, you see that. We've got some folks in our church who are, who are foster parents. In my book, foster parents, man, they're, they're rock stars, right? They take, they take these kids who are so troubled, and I talked with, with one of our, our foster parents this week, and, and their child, they've got this child in their home, and the home life before was just horrible, horrible, horrible. And again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that if they go back to that circumstance, it's not going to be great. And you see those, those kids, and your heart breaks, your heart just breaks. Well, Paul, in, in Romans 9, He's not just talking about one child or two children. He's talking about the children of Israel. And his heart is breaking. And his big question is, what's going to happen to my people? Now some say, you know, all of Israel will will be saved because of their ancestry, because of their biology. Uh, But if that were true, why would Paul be in deep anguish, great sorrow? He goes on to say, "For for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is serious. He's saying, I wish I, wish I was the one that was cut off from Christ. He's experienced all the joy of Jesus. He's experienced all of these wonderful things. He's talking about being more than a conqueror because of Jesus. And then he says, I wish it was me. I wish if it, if it, if it took me being cut off so that they would know Jesus, I wish it was me. You, you parents who've had some wayward kids, you know what Paul's talking about. When your kids have been making bad choices, bad choices, bad choices, and they're going down a bad road, and, and terrible things start happening, and your heart is breaking, I've heard parents say, man, I wish that were me, I wish my kid was right, and I wish, I wish all those troubles would fall on me, not them. That's what Paul is saying here. He's serious, but the problem is, everyone has to make their own choice. I can't, I can't make a choice for you. You can't make the choice for me. I can't make the choice for my kids. They have to make the choice. It's up to them if they're going to follow Jesus or not. It's up to them if they're going to, you know, Romans 10 we talked about last week. If they're going to uh, uh, confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, their head, their, deep down in their bones that Jesus Christ, it's up to them. We can't, we can't force them. We can't make them. And the problem is what happens when they don't? For Paul, he says it's deep sorrow, unceasing anguish. See, P- Paul understands how this works. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is, we, we talked about it last week, Romans 10, 4. Jesus is the culmination of the law. It's all about Jesus. It's just about Jesus. And when we know Jesus, praise the Lord, but when we don't, when we choose to not follow Jesus, when we choose to turn our back and run the other way from Jesus. Paul knows that's trouble. He was traveling down that road. Remember, he was traveling down that road, the road to Damascus. He was going to kill Christians, and he met Jesus, and that changed everything. 
And Paul is saying, I want that for my brothers and sisters. I want them to experience the power and the glory of Jesus more than anything. I want them to have that experience. But he's looking out. And generally, not totally, not completely, we're going to get there next week. They had turned their back on Jesus. And Paul's in anguish over that. He's in anguish that they haven't called. He is... Maybe the word to use is desperate. He is desperate for them to come to know Jesus. If we took a poll, I think all of us would say, these are desperate times we're living in. Right? These are desperate times. And their cause, it, cause, it should cause us to have a bit of desperation ourselves. It should cause us to to take things more serious, to call out to God more fervently, to, be, to be, be crying out to him more regularly. Our hearts need to break for the things that break the heart of God. Let me repeat that so you make sure you get it. Our hearts should break for the things that break the heart of God. What breaks the heart of God? Well, there's a list, you know, we can count, we can be here all day. I think, I think, you know, prevalent racism in our country breaks the heart of God. I think the rising violence in major cities, Flint included, breaks the heart of God. I think the opioid crisis breaks the heart of God when, when people get hooked on drugs and they can't get off. I've done way too many funerals for drug addicts who, who, who took too much. I think that breaks the heart of God. I think, I think the rising suicide rates breaks the heart of God. We could go on and on. You get it. You know it. But you know what really breaks the heart of God? When people, when nice people, good people, when they turn their back on Jesus and they don't know Jesus, they don't know the joy that can be theirs, they don't know the grave that they can get out of, they don't know that they don't have to stay in the pit, when they don't know, that breaks the heart of God. And guess what? It should break our heart too. That's the point. That's why, that's why, that's why we have that 24-7 prayer week coming up. That's exactly why we have the 24-7 prayer week, because we believe that God hears us when we pray. And so we're gonna take that whole week, starting next Sunday to the next Sunday, August, what is it, 8th through 15th, and we're gonna pray around the clock in the building. And we need you, we need you to be desperate in your prayers. Oh, pastor, the only time signed up, all the good times are taken, and it's just 2 a.m., that's the only one left. Let me tell you how this works. You sign up for 2 a.m., we come here to the building. What that means is at 1.15 a.m., you set your alarm and you wake up. And you throw on some shorts or some sweatpants and a t-shirt and, and you come to the church and you come over here to this side and you ring the bell and a sleepy pastor or board member uh, who are in the building, they're the host, they will let you into the building and they'll bring you to the prayer room, which this year the prayer room is this room. And so they'll bring you down here and we're gonna have it all set up right down here. And you can either pray at the altar, pray at the pew or whatever. There'll be all those cards that people have filled out. And, and, but, but the thing that you're gonna pray for first, the one that you're gonna pray for it's that one that's breaking your heart. And you're going to cry out to God. And you're going to pray, pray, pray. And you're going to say, you know, you're, you're not God. You don't, you don't, you don't, you, you're not a judge. God Almighty is. And you, you don't know their heart. God Almighty does. But, but you know the road they've been taking. And you know the trouble that, that they've been in. And you know the circumstances. And so you go at 2 a.m. You go and you start crying out to God. And you're praying, and you're praying, praying. You could be at home in bed. And instead you're here praying, praying, praying. Do you think God hears that prayer? That desperation prayer? That prayer that you've been praying that, that, that is breaking your heart? Do you think God hears that? 
I think God does. And I think when we've got a whole week of that going on and people are crying out to God and praying out to God and they've, and they've looked at those cards, those cards that are in your pew, every one of us has loved ones that don't know Jesus. Every single one of us know people who are in trouble. Maybe their marriage is in trouble. Maybe their life is in trouble. Maybe they, maybe they know Jesus, but they just got all this junk going on. And you, maybe it's you, and you write it down on this list. You've got to pray for me. Do you think God will hear when 178 hours of people praying is going on? I think God hears us when we pray. I don't know how intercessory prayer works. I really don't. I understand God is omniscient. God already knows what you're telling him. I get that. But he tells us to pray. He tells us to be like that persistent widow, to pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And when he, we pray, God works. That's the whole deal. I just believe that miracles can happen. I just believe that God can work in ways unexpected and that, that somehow, some way, some of those people on their list are going to discover Jesus or their marriage is going to be healed or their problems are going to be, be, be alleviated. Why? Because God Almighty is at work. We just believe that that can happen. It's getting serious. It's getting desperate. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But those that don't, won't. And we, we've got to let that sink in a little bit. So you can help me. Uh, most of you have never been a preacher, so you can help me. I've, done, I've been a part of five funerals this week. Six is tomorrow. From last Saturday till today, or till tomorrow. I've officiated two, I've assisted in two, I've attended two. That's the six. Uh, guy 88, Dennis Freeman's dad, yesterday. Guy 86, uh, John Fisher. I baptized John probably, I don't know, five, six years ago as an 80-year-old. Um, uh, uh, Paul Dresser was in here, 75. The, the, the room was full. Uh, Paul Dresser, wonderful man of God. Um, Jerry Goine was last Monday, 80, 85, 86-year-old Jerry Goine. Saint, 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 saint. So patient, what a loving, wonderful man. And then last Saturday, the tragic, well, tomorrow's is... is uh, Arnold Fletcher and Ar Arnold, here, here, I think it's all right to share with the, you this story. So Arnold finds out six weeks ago that he has six weeks to live. And he, he had a blood disorder and the doctor said, you got six weeks to live. And so I call him up and I say, Arnold, I hear you, you had some, some bad news from the doctor this week. And he goes, oh yeah, we had some bad news and blah, blah, blah. And he starts talking about all this other stuff. I said, Arnold, you seem to be taking this news uh, about six weeks to live, you know, okay. And he said, well, this is the way I figured it, preacher. He said, I can worry about it for the next six weeks, or I cannot. Either way, I'm going to be dead. <laughs> so, well, I guess you're right, Arnold, I guess. And I went and talked with him. We talked about his funeral. We talked about how he loved Jesus. We talked about how he knew that heaven was going to be his home. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And now he's there. And then last Saturday was a terrible tragedy of a boy four years old drowned. So those six funerals, uh, that little boy, he's in heaven. Why? Because Jesus loves all the children of the world. He's in heaven. And those five guys, 75 being the youngest, Paul was the youngest, they all love Jesus. They're all, they're all, they're all, they're all rejoicing today. 
But if you're the preacher, what do you say when they're not? What do you say when they haven't called on? As far as you, you know, you're not God Almighty. You don't, you're not the judge. You're not God Almighty. You don't know their heart. But what do you say when that person, by all accounts, has not followed Jesus? See, I've been in that situation. What do you say? I was a brand new, fresh out of seminary, wet behind my ears preacher in Bad Axe, Michigan, when a guy died. The guy was so mean, and he was, he was just mean as could be. He cussed all the time. He cussed me out. Cussed, he wouldn't let his wife come to church half the time. Mean dude. He died. And his wife wanted me to say that he was in heaven at his funeral. Now again, I'm not the judge. I don't know his heart. She wanted me to say unequivocally, he's in heaven. And I didn't know what to say. I said, well, so this is what I said something like in the funeral. I said something like, uh, you know, God Almighty, we can trust him. We can trust him to do what's right. And, 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 and he, God is faithful. Not good enough. <laughs> she was not happy at, after the funeral. She was mad, mad, mad. I didn't say her husband, who was so mean, <laughs> was not in heaven. That should break our heart. See, there's a heresy that seems to be gaining ground that I've noticed. It's been around for centuries, but it seems to be gaining ground in the United States, and that heresy is called universalism. And what that means is that everybody in the universe, that God is love, 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 which God is love. God is love, 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 and he would never, ever, ever send someone to hell that he would never, ever, ever, that God is love, and so everybody is gonna be all right. And people say this, you'll hear it, you'll hear it, no matter how they've lived, no matter how they've turned their back on God, no matter how they've hurt people or, or anything else, when they die, they say, well, they're in a better place. In a better place. So glad they're in a better place. That is not the Bible. You need to hear this. That is not, you can't read the book of Romans and come to that conclusion. For the wages of sin is death. We need Jesus. Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus, I want everybody, I want everybody in heaven. Of course, I want everybody to find Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, you have to accept Jesus into your life. That's the only way. It doesn't just happen just because we die. We've lived a horrible, horrible, horrible life. We've hurt all these people and then we die. Oh, we're going to a better place. It just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense, not even a biblical sense. It doesn't make sense that, that, that a Mother Teresa and a Adolf Hitler would have the same eternal accommodations. That does not make any sense. It doesn't make sense that Billy Graham and Jeffrey Epstein would have mansions on the same Golden Avenue. That does not make sense. No, there is a way. The way is Jesus. The only way is Jesus. And when we know him, praise God. God, when we don't, it ought to break our hearts. I'm not saying to go around and beat people with the big Bible. I'm saying it ought to break our hearts and we need to be on our knees a lot more than what we are. Amen. Pastor, you're kind of a Debbie Downer today. Go. People going to hell. You're a Debbie Downer. I come to church to be lifted up. That's why we have Vacation Bible Camp, not school, that starts tomorrow. Because a lot of people, most people, find Jesus when they're children. 
And we say, we're going to have this week where we're going to tell boys and girls about Jesus. And what that means is, even if you don't have kids, if you have kids in your neighborhood, you can go to your neighbor and say, listen, we got vacation Bible camp at my church. Let me take your little monster and I'll take them to church. Don't call them monster. Don't call them their little monster. Let me take your little cherub, <laughs> your, your sweet little child that screams all day long. Let me take him to vacation Bible camp. Why do we do that? Because we want boys and girls to know Jesus. Why? Because boys and girls are important to Jesus. Why? Because things like we just did up here, children are important. We need children to find Jesus. Why? Everyone's important. We want everyone to find Jesus. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's what we need to proclaim. And that's why Paul's heart is breaking. Oh my land, it's 1156. We're not going to get through chapter 9. You're going to have to read it on your own. Paul says this, verse 4, they are Israelites. He's talking about his family that is in anguish. He's on this sorrow that he has. They're the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promise. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to their flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, God has done all these things, promise after promise, covenant after covenant. He's given all these things, given all these things, given all these things, and for the most part, not totally, for the most part, they have rejected him. Verse six, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. God's word doesn't fail. Jesus never fails. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Biology, Ancestry doesn't come. Just because your great-grandma was a saint, just because your mom and dad loved Jesus, doesn't, you can't get it on their coattails. It's up to you. You make the choice. It's up to you. You make the decision. Will I call upon Jesus and be saved? That's the whole point. Will I look to him? All right, we don't have time for the rest of, of, of Romans 9. Here's what you need to know about Romans 9. Paul is convinced that God is sovereign that God is God and we are not. There's a scene in the movie Rudy. You ever remember the movie Rudy uh, about that kid? that goes, eh, I never liked it when it came out because the kid wanted to go to Notre Dame. You know, if you're a Michigan fan, why in the world? Ah, you know, what's so great about that? So anyway, he goes to Notre Dame. He wants to play. He's undersized. He's not an athlete, really, a, a great athlete. He wants to play football in Notre Dame. You'd think he'd get on the team with if he's not a great athlete. Anyway, he wants to do it. He wants to do it. And, and, and he's, things aren't working out. Here, spoiler alert, you know, it's, the movie's 30 years old. So if you don't know it by now, you know, if, forget it. It's, it's 30 years old. He makes the team eventually. But when he's not making the team, he goes to this uh, uh, church and he meets an old priest and the old priest says this. He says, says, there's two things I know about God. There is a God, I'm not him. And I think that's Paul's point in, in Romans 9. There's a God. There's a God, and he's sovereign, he's in charge, he's in control, he does not fail. We can trust him. There is a God. That doesn't mean we always understand what's going on. I tell people all the time, you know, I'm in sales, not management. I think there's plenty of things that are above my pay grade. I don't know why God does the things he does. I don't know why God heals some, doesn't heal others. I don't know why, why some people seem to skate through life and others have problem after problem after problem. I don't know all of those things. I don't know. And sometimes I try to clue God in and say, God, this is what you need to do. And this is how you need to heal. And this is how you need to work. And I think God sometimes says, Rob, you haven't a clue. I'm in charge. You're not. God is God. God is sovereign. 
And the second thing I think Paul wants you to hear in Romans chapter 9 is that God keeps his promises. Maybe you need to hear that today. God keeps his promises. And he gives a history lesson. It goes from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Pharaoh and through the, through the, through the uh, prophets. And eventually he, he comes to, and Jesus, sent the, and Jesus came. The promised one came. The one he promised came. The culmination of the law came. It's Jesus. But through that, Paul looks at his family and it breaks his heart. And I guess the point for us is we need to look out to those and have a bit of deep sorrow, a bit of unceasing anguish when they don't know Jesus. He's the hope. And when we just think of it as a, some passing thing, you know, oh yeah, well, that's, that's, that's too bad. Let's play skip bow. There's, we need to have a deep sorrow an unceasing anguish. And while we're celebrating what God has done in our lives, there's people, there's people that you love and care for that don't know Jesus. And that ought to cause us some anguish, quite frankly. And I thought, well, how can we do it? Before we celebrate communion, could we do this before we celebrate communion? You have that person in your mind, right? Maybe it's two, three people in mind. Never accepted Jesus. Never took that step of faith. Maybe they've made bad choice after bad choice. You've got them. You've got them in your head, right? Maybe it's you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're here today because somebody drug you here, and today could be your day of salvation. You could discover all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, your head, all deep in your bones that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. So you got that person in mind. And we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray that God would be like a, the hound of heaven. Martin Luther coined that phrase. And a guy named uh, Francis Thompson in the 1800s wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. When he wrote that poem, people were kind of uh, upset with him. It was kind of scandalous because he equated people, you and me, as a hare, a rabbit, and he equated God Almighty as a hound, a hound dog. How can you do that? Scandalous. God is not a hound dog. But the poem is, is such that, that the hound of heaven is after the hare. It is singular in focus. It is, it is so committed. It, is, it will not be deterred. It is after that, that hare. It's after, after, after. And the hound of heaven is in. That's what God wants. We want God for our loved ones. We want the hound of heaven to be after them, to be not deterred, to go, go, go until they find Jesus. That's what we need to pray for.